welcome to EVN Report. My name is Maria Titizian. Joining me today in the studio is Zara Amaduni. She is the communications manager and spokesperson for the International Committee of the Red Cross, the ICRC. Zara, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Just for our listeners, as we know, there has been the total ethnic cleansing of the Armenian population of Nagorno-Karabakh after the large-scale attack by Azerbaijan on September 19, which uh, ended uh, in 24 hours with a ceasefire statement. On September 24, the Lachin Corridor was opened, which had been blockaded since December of 2022. The population of Artsakh had been basically in a siege for almost 10 months, and we saw the mass exodus of the population, uh, over 100,000 Armenians escaping and who are now in Armenia. For the duration of the blockade, the ICRC was the only international organization that was able to provide humanitarian assistance in terms of medication and evacuating patients who needed immediate uh, medical care in Armenia. And Zara, the work of the ICRC has been very, very difficult and very, very complex and very challenging. We could talk about the past, but I want to understand the situation as it is right now. We have Artsakh that has been depopulated of its uh, population, and we have a huge refugee challenge today in Armenia. And ICRC was there and with your volunteers and working around the clock. Tell me, what is the situation today? Thank you very much. Yes, not really going back to past, but just to mention that uh, our organization, the International Committee of the Red Cross, has been present on the ground, really uniquely present as an international humanitarian organization for more than three decades. Definitely we have followed on the consequences that this conflict has brought to the people, to the civilians over this time. Uh, and very recently, as the situation actually evolved and we have seen really a mass scale uh, population movement, and uh, also we've really um, worked over these days to ensure that the most pressing needs of these people are met as they're actually uh, arriving in Armenia. And also we uh, try to really keeping our presence on the ground to ensure that those that are left behind are not forgotten and also are taken care of. Um, yeah, I saw, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. I don't usually interrupt, but um, I was watching a video of your staff in Stepanagerd with megaphones going street by street, neighborhood by neighborhood, you know, just calling out to see if anybody had been left behind because there were cases of elderly or people with disabilities who had been left behind. I struggled to find the words to describe what I felt when I saw it. It was very touching and, and very devastating at the same time. Is your staff still in Artsakh at the moment? Thank you for this account. Yes, uh, we remain on the ground. It's mainly our international staff that is currently there. We've actually stepped up our presence, bringing in the particular um, experts in the areas that are most needed. These include also forensic experts, health pe people dealing with health issues like medical doctors, uh, but also people that are our experts that are working on different type of civilian population's protection issues and definitely the video that you've seen testifies to the actually our very recent work being done on the ground as many most people left but those that were left behind we have been uh, following up on with the help of the families that left and actually had their relatives so they alerted that information to us or we found this information from other sources and, or just really hitting the streets to ensure that those who wish to leave but are unable to do so 
having some vulnerabilities, any medical condition. So otherwise not able to go out are able to do so. Were you able to go, because what I saw was primarily in the capital, Stepanagert, but we know that many villages and towns uh, actually came under bombardment and they were evacuated right away or people escaped. Have you had access to those regions or uh, villages in Artsakh or has it been contained to Stepanagert at the moment? We've tried really to look at places where we had an opportunity to reach. Uh, so, But I would not say that we've had, let's say, entire access to all the places. We've been really working at the, at the time with the local institutions to understand the dynamic and how the population, the population movement actually roots and mm-hmm. uh, the, the current situation. For now, um, I wouldn't say that we have the full access, let's say, to all the places. However, again, we're trying really to work uh, also across the region with our teams, with the relevant authorities to really have a bit of a grasp of the situation also from the point where we are and we're able to actually reach and uh, um, basically have access. But again, now what we're talking about is the main city that we're working in. And yeah, in terms of figures, I'd say that since September 29, we have been able to identify and help evacuate around 100 uh, people who were left behind. Vulnerable, many people that were left behind. I'm assuming that families will reach out to the ICRC and say, you know, I left we know that there's this grandmother or this old elderly person that was left behind or I can't find my father. Is that also been part of the process? Very much so. Actually, one of our top priorities for the moment is also to look into the issues of the people that were disconnected by the whole situation, uh, whether it was because of the mass uh, movement Exodus, or, yeah. for example, the consequences that uh, of that uh, fuel depot explosion uh, mm. that uh, happened last week, which also uh, basically created this additional layer <sighs> of people that really cannot find their loved ones. So we've uh, really tried to, during the process of registration, we're not involved directly. That was actually our partner, Armenian Red Cross Society, that worked hand-in-hand with the uh, local authorities to receive and register the people. However, we worked hand-in-hand to really identify uh, those cases where people uh, were looking for their missing loved ones um, for different reasons being disconnected. Uh, And also just taken into account that for quite a long time uh, there was a disruption of telecommunication services uh, created by the hostilities and the, the aftermath. So very, very um, important uh, kind of focus of our, our attention currently is to collect, to process this information and to really look into that from the perspective of really kind of trying to either locate these people or uh, work with the relevant authorities or, or, or across the region with uh, the authorities on the other side to, to, to understand what happened to the people that are being looked for. And you were also able to um, transfer the bodies and remains from the fuel depot uh, explosion because there are still bodies, I'm assuming, that you have not been able to identify because they were burned beyond recognition. Well, probably that's uh, the reality, the tragic reality of that very horrendous event, actually. So, yeah, we have been able to facilitate the transfer to Armenia of more than 200 bodies over the last days. Uh, and, of course, part of that included the, the bodies that were 
So you, and then your forensic teams here are helping the local authorities identify them at this point? Yeah, we actually provided both body bags on the ground mm-hmm. uh, and uh, further when they were transported with our support also taken to the local forensic facilities. Our specialists uh, have been with those uh, forensic specialist authorities to provide some technical support and expertise. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you mentioned earlier that ICRC is the only humanitarian international organization that has been on the ground in Nagorno-Karabakh for for the past three decades. And the ICRC has also been involved in with the prisoners of war in, in terms of visiting them and making sure that they have access at least through letters or phone calls to their family members in Armenia. Now we have uh, former state officials of Artsakh who have been uh, detained and um, have been charged, among them former presidents. and spe- I mean, it's just... It's almost surreal uh, at this point, but will the ICRC be involved in making sure that um, they are being held in conditions that would not be in contravention of any kind of uh, international law? We're also working to keep this issue very much in focus of our intention in par- as part of our mandate, as you mentioned rightly, the past work being done and also the ongoing work that we implement to visit the confirmed detained people currently in Azerbaijan. Uh, So as related to the recent events and the recent alleged detention cases, we're uh, looking into that issue, but currently um, we cannot really say more than that because first that we need to have is the kind of a confirmation of all these cases so that we can further apply to request access to these people. But as with others, we assume that uh, visiting the detainees, irrespective of their, let's say, uh, other status, um, is actually governed and provided for by the international humanitarian law. So basically, this kind of a protection that these people have empowers our organization to basically look into this issue from the viewpoint of really trying to get more confirmations and then request the access to be able to visit them uh, and, and ultimately ensure that they have uh, they establish their contact with their relatives. Um, one of the, or the first uh, state official was the former state minister, Rupen Vartanian, who was uh, detained um, and then taken to Baku, where we presume he's in prison. Has the ICRC in Azerbaijan been able to meet with him? or any of the other detainees? For the time being, um, we haven't had access to any of the people that uh, were allegedly detained. What we are trying to do is basically to keep the issue in the focus of attention. We're in touch, actually the families approached us with a request to actually handle this issue as part of our work, like usual work with the detention, with with the Mm -hmm. uh, conflict-related detainees or other protected persons. So yeah, for now, it's basically very much kind of what I can say around that is that we're we're dealing with the matter, but we don't have any more to share for now with the public. Before uh, talking about uh, the forcibly displaced that are now in Armenia from uh, Artsakh, from Nagorno-Karabakh, there do continue to be uh, POWs and detainees, Armenian detainees, who continue to remain in Azerbaijani uh, jails. Does the ICRC uh, in uh, Azerbaijan periodically visit them, give you reports? Because these, uh, just again for our audience, these are uh, POWs and detainees from 2020 uh, during the 44-day war in 2021. Uh, well, indeed, uh, our work in relation to the people that were detained in Azerbaijan in 2020 and 2021 in relation with the hostilities uh, are being visited by our 
uh, representatives in Azerbaijan on a very regular basis. So, like, let's say, roughly, it's um, we're we're visiting them monthly, and the visits are uh, like really proceed uh, in line with our modalities, which includes first and foremost one-on-one uh, conversations. But also, uh, we are able to assess their treatment, conditions of detention and health state. Uh, when needed, we uh, visit them. I mean, our representatives there visit them with uh, accompanied by an ICRC doctor. That's also an international staff member. Um, as part of these visits, we've been able to uh, keep their contact with their relatives pretty much regularly uh, through different communication means, be it through Red Cross letters or pre-recorded video messages and also phone calls. And today, what is the mandate of the ICRC when it comes to the displaced population that is now in Armenia? What kind of work can you do to assist the people directly or do you work with uh, local authorities? Well, in terms of the immediate needs and the needs that are coming, let's say, in the weeks or months to come, uh, we're definitely trying to look into the scale of, of the needs that are currently being assessed, both by the state authorities, but also other actors on the ground. We, together with our partner, Armenia Red Cross Society, for instance, are launching a multidisciplinary needs assessment um, with the people that have been resettled mainly in some border areas because that's have been actually the focus of our attention traditionally over the years so basically we're looking into many like some regions where the people have been uh, found a refuge to understand what's the magnitude or scale of their needs for the time being be it uh, the immediate needs like food or health services or some essential goods or for example much uh, kind of further services including I don't know uh, need for some mental health and psychosocial support and so forth so this assessment probably will give us some findings that we'll be able to analyze and structure and adapt our response further. As I said, we've scaled up our response and uh, bringing in human resources, but also we're looking into adapting also our activities very much to be able to cover partly as much as our capacities uh, allow the, the needs of these people. And definitely we're uh, really trying to coordinate all kinds of activities in response with the efforts being put by the state authorities and other actors so that we're working very much kind of in concerted efforts not to overlap certain activities, but also bring the relevant value added uh, as much as we can in terms of what we can bring, what that's probably different or probably unique from what others can bring to to help the people uh, go through the hurdles that they're experiencing now. Yeah, usually in times like this, there's oftentimes duplication of efforts and uh, some of the other critical needs are not being met because people don't understand what the needs exactly are. I know that you work with the Armenian Red Cross as well, and there were hundreds of volunteers, young people uh, in Gornitor, in Goris, you know, our uh, Rubina Margosian, who was there in Goris, she mm. was just, she came back and she said, um, I really felt my faith in humanity grow again after seeing these young people mm. working 24-7. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, what I can say, uh, join all the all the words, all the credit that's been given to all these uh, young, enthusiastic people. It's really the power of humanity probably that uh, unites people, especially in this kind of hard times when you have to actually reach out to those that are very much in need and just to be there 24-7. And we have seen it with the volunteers. And actually, these are, I mean, our primary partners of the ground, the Armenian Red Cross Society. We keep really working hand in hand with them. 
we don't have volunteers. Let's say it's the prerogative of the national societies that are working in different countries. So we're only we're only happy and praising basically the work that I've been able to do. There's more to do actually because as we move further and as the situation is still evolving uh, with the civilians, with with the, with, the, with all the population that has arrived, we're assuming that there will be more projects and activities that will be also shared between us as partners um, and actually this needs assessment for example the very initial one that we're doing together also will inform our further work and you'll see probably more volunteers working here and there to to assist mm -hmm. people but yeah that has been really spectacular the way they approach this problem Zara do we know do we have any kind of numbers of people who are still missing and I refer not 2020 war I'm talking about the fuel, fuel depot explosion, because we have to understand that in the 24 hours, the, the attack by Azerbaijan, there were civilian uh, settlements that had come under attack. And we do have documented cases of civilians being killed. But do you have a number at this point of how many people are missing? It's probably difficult now to provide some credible information in this respect because we're still receiving calls and trying to really systematize this information and see for actually clarify uh, also as we go because there are some cases that are being resolved and others that are really um, set for, for further further processing. Let's say currently, in the recent days as we've um, launched our hotline, for specifically missing uh, cases, we have been receiving like something around 100 calls a day recently wow. of people approaching us with with all this kind of nets. Probably now it's a bit on decrease this the number of calls we're receiving, but still, the information will be I think processed in the coming days. We'll be able to provide more some or less uh, yeah credible information some figures about uh, what's the situation now in terms of in yeah. terms of numbers of the people yeah, that has been the most uh, frustrating part uh, because as the Artsakh Republic has basically collapsed and there was a dearth of information we couldn't get information to understand exactly how many people were killed how many were missing how many were wounded because at some point everything just stopped functioning and that's why having the icrc there is so critical in terms of knowing and then but on the other hand the icrc is a very very neutral organization and we know how careful uh, the organization is when they have to if and when they release information so i mean i appreciate the cautiousness mm. but uh, you know as a journalist as a, as a as a citizen as an armenian as a human being it's been absolutely frustrating at this point because there's been nobody to pick up that the mm. the chain the link that broken the chain in terms of information yeah, there are certain pieces of information that we're not dealing with anyway, but there's also other type of information that we really need to put together. But as you mentioned, in many cases, just for us to be able to function and to work effectively in favor of the people, we um, address this information exclusively with the authorities or other concerns that are... Uh, actually enabling our humanitarian work. So basically it's for them as responsible bodies to know what we think and how we see the situation so that we can really run this um, honest but at the same time discreet dialogue with them on all the matters that relate to our humanitarian work and also the plight of the people that are suffering. Uh, Zara, thank you for taking the time. I know that you have been in Goris, that you are extremely, extremely busy for taking the time to talk to us and shedding a bit of light on the situation. And thank you for for the work. Thank you so much. Thank you.